Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 119. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to celebrate the 60th anniversary of Swiss Family Robinson. 1960, this film came out. Another adventure film based off of a book. You you could see where Walt Disney's wheels were turning here. Absolutely. Where he was kind of doing a little less with the animation, more with the TV and the live action. Uh, This was actually a film that had already been, or it was a a book that had already been adapted to screen. It had happened in 1940 when RKO had their hands on it. Um, And I'm sure that naturally it'll come up in conversation as we discuss this film here. Um, I don't want to get into which one is better just yet, because we did watch both of them yesterday. But I'm sure naturally, the compare and contrast, it will come up. Of course. What's interesting about the book, too... Uh, and and you can see, like you said, where Disney's wheels were turning, is that this book was actually based off of the idea of what would happen if the author and his son were stranded like Robinson Crusoe, which is also how Treasure Island was written. Right. So Disney clearly had an affinity for this kind of thing. Absolutely. All right, let's just get right into it here. The Robinsons... They're Swiss, by the way. I didn't know if you got that from the title, Swiss Family Robinson. The the Robinsons are en route from Bern to the new colony in New Guinea. As they avoid a gang of pirates, they are caught in a storm and are shipwrecked. William and Elizabeth, along with their children, Fritz, Ernst, and Francis, escape the ship on a self-made raft and find themselves marooned on an uninhabited island. After realizing that they may be stranded for a while, in addition to the discovery of dangerous wildlife, such as tigers and snakes, uh, the family salvages some materials from the shipwreck and builds a treehouse. treehouse. Ernst points out that the animals, because he's been kind of collecting data, um, because he's a big-time bookworm, he realizes that they... They could have only arrived on the island by traveling over a land bridge from Asia. So William convinces Elizabeth to allow Ernst and Fritz to venture out and search for it. They build an outrigger boat and set off to see what they can find. After their boat is destroyed in the surf, they rescue a quote-unquote cabin boy from the clutches of the pirates. Come to find out that it's really a girl named Roberta, but her grandfather hid her identity to save her from the pirates who had taken them captive. As they head back to the treehouse, they are attacked by an anaconda, lose their compass, and become lost. As they try to find their way home, they come across a zebra stuck in the mud and rescue it from some other animals that are looking to make it tonight's main course and they use it to help them ride home they arrive back to the treehouse on christmas and as excited as the family is to see them they realize that the pirates will want their captive back and decide to protect themselves meanwhile elizabeth robinson has cleaned Roberta up. She's put her in her dress, or one of her dresses, and this causes friction between Ernst and Fritz, who are fighting for her affection, which leads to a lot of sort of unnecessary drama inside the family. But 
as they are dealing with that, they are also dealing with the realization that these pirates are going to come. So they decide to protect themselves. They set traps around their little hideaway, one of which includes a tiger that they captured uh, in a pit, which is then covered with palm leaves waiting for somebody to fall in. They make coconut bombs, they make fuses, and they are basically ready to go. And eventually, the pirates do find them, but are fended off by their traps. As they make their move to launch a second attack on the Robinsons after they've basically figured out all of their traps and uh, flushed out all of their weapons, a second ship arrives, destroying the pirate ship and destroying some of the pirates. Turns out that it is Roberta's grandfather. He had tracked them down, and he comes to save the day. He offers the family the opportunity to finally get to New Guinea. He offers Roberta the opportunity to go back to London, and he offers Ernst the opportunity to go to college. Well, Ernst decides that he is going to go to college in London, but the rest of the family, as well as Roberta, decides that they will stay on the island, and it would appear that William Robinson is set to become the governor of that new colony. Okay. Um, from the jump, there is this is a very exciting open to this film. I think that the visuals are outstanding, and I love the sound effects that they use as well as the music. I think that it really drives home that you are in for an epic adventure film. The way we talked about um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and I say, you know, I said then, can you imagine watching this on a big screen? I get the same feeling here, and we're only really in the opening credits. Wow. I have a feeling we're going to disagree a lot because what? I agree with nothing that you just said. Um, I want to start by saying I've, I've never read the book. It's been on my TBR for quite some time. I've just never gotten around to it. And now I'm very curious because these two films are so vastly different. I imagine that both of them pulled a little from the book here, a little from the book here, but they are completely different from the jump. And what I feel like, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that the 1940s version did it better, um, but we did get more backstory. And that's something that I think was severely lacking here. You're right. This version is better because it's a little bit more exciting from the start. But I feel like they would have benefited so much more if they had extras in this scene. Because when we meet the Robinsons, oh, meet the Robinsons. <laughs> um, when we meet them here in the, in the 60s version, yeah. they are just trapped on the boat. You don't really know what happened. And I would have almost liked to see everyone else abandoning ship and, and kind of getting a feel for how they got stuck below and why they're only just breaking out of the room now. Right. And that is actually very similar to the open of Treasure Island. Yes. Because in the book, there is so much that leads into uh, the infiltration of the Admiral Benbow. Um, but in the Disney-fied version... 
it happens basically within the first five minutes. And you do get that here. And that does separate it from the 1940s version where you get a lot more context as to why they are leaving. Here, it's more fleshed out over the course of time and dialogue. Right. And I'm not saying that I would have preferred some lengthy story as to why they're leaving. But in the 40s version, there is a lot more cause, especially because we meet them and they're in peril. So it's like, why would you put your family up to that sort of a challenge and and relocate and put them in danger really I mean they don't know that they're in danger obviously they didn't know that they were going to get shipwrecked but I just feel like the Disney-fied version needed a bit more of a why they're here other than we want the new colony it turns out they're trying to escape the Napoleon Wars but you have to read into that to get that out of this story because they never come out and say it in the film. Right. And then the other issue that I have is that when you think of something like 20,000 Leagues, they're going to go down with the ship, right? There's nobody here but them. There's no captain. I And I can't imagine that they got away on a little lifeboat when the waves are like that or that they swam away and were able to survive. So right. it's just the Robinsons. Well, they do say that the, the crew escaped Whereas in the original film, they are swept overboard, which makes for a lot more sense. You would have assumed that if they were abandoning ship, they would have taken the Robinsons with them, not just left them to die. Exactly. It poses too many questions. I mean, I would assume they left on a lifeboats because then the Robinsons, they build the raft. And right. I do also, I understand they did have to set up in some way that the Robinsons were able to take everything on the ship and not have to worry that you know, anybody's coming back for it, really. Sure. The difference between the 1940s version and this version, I think the biggest difference, well, I'm not going to say the biggest difference because they're almost two completely different films. They, they, they share kind of a plot and they share a same title. But other than that, they share almost absolutely nothing. There's a treehouse and a family that lives in it. And that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. None of which have Swiss accents, by the way. Um, <laughs> but... They, this film is a half an hour longer than the 1940s version, but the 1940s version drags. Yes. Forever. So how, it, somehow it is a half an hour shorter, but it drags on forever. What this does better, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, versus what 20,000 Leagues did, and we loved 20,000 Leagues, but... My big criticism of that film was that they lingered on a lot of things because I think they were going for wow factor. By the time they got to this, they had sort of gotten away from that. This is paced a little bit better than 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And I, I personally think that does come from the action in the very beginning. So I disagree with you where I don't think you necessarily needed all of that backstory. I understand where you're coming from, but for me... It wasn't to the film's detriment that we didn't have it. No, I mean, it It didn't knock the film down in any way, but I just wanted to... I wanted to feel a little bit more for them. I mean, obviously, it's action-driven. They're trying to get off what's obviously a sinking ship. I, I get that. Right. But I just... I wanted to get inside. You know what it is? It lacked pro proper character development. Because they were already in it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of already in it, 
when the ship does eventually get wrecked on those rocks offshore, how amazing is that shipwreck set? It's incredible. I mean, this is that real golden age of Hollywood where, because we talked about how stunning the Nautilus was. And honestly, because these films are so close in age, I think it's natural that you do compare this to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea even more so than you do with Treasure Island. But the sets are just incredible. And this is where I think Walt Disney really shines through. And, you know, spare no expense to Roy's dismay. He wanted everything to look visually stunning. And this is what I miss in current cinema because when they reboot this most of this will be cgi'd what impresses me most is that there are not a lot of wide shots at all meaning they couldn't cut away to stunt doubles so you actually had your actors in the thick of it not to mention all of the animals and i feel like there's not too much information out there on the production of this film. I feel like a lot of that is because of the treatment of the animals. Um, I'm not saying that they were treated badly, but what they had them do in close-up certainly wouldn't fly now. Oh, no way. It's a rough visual. And I think that's why I sort of get so touchy about the beginning is because... I don't really, like I said, there's no character development. And the first thing we learn about them is that they're going to leave all these animals to die, which is really not okay for me. Um, I get that, and, and this is a difference with the 40s film too, and I'm sure it is with the books, is that these were not the family dogs. They were the captain's dogs. And uh, Francis, the youngest son, just sort of took a liking to them. Right. Uh, So he's the one who ultimately gets them off the ship because Father Robinson, who, by the way, has no name. It's Father Robinson. Yeah, it's mother and father. I only know that it's Elizabeth and William because I had to look them up under the casting to see what their names were. Because even if you read the plot, it reads mother and father. It never refers to them by name. Right. So Francis calls them off the boat. And ultimately, Mother Robinson is responsible for getting them onto the raft because she says to her husband that they're going to drown if they leave them. And I understand that it's the father's priority to save his family. But I I just, and maybe it's a personal thing for me, I just can't get over it that they would leave that many animals not not just the dogs but i mean there's pigs there's chickens there there's so many animals on this boat well he it's did, like noah's ark and they're just leaving it yeah but he did say to them we have to save ourselves first we will come back for them and if i'm being honest with you as much as i love animals <clears throat> i am going to side with father robinson on this one because i would never leave walt behind but Walt's different. Am I going to take Porky Pig? To me, I see the pig and I go, time and temp on the smoker. Like, he's, <laughs> I will come back for you eventually. But if it's the three of us getting to safety and then coming back for him versus the three of us, and I've got to try to get him, but you might not make it out, Porky's going to hang for a little while. No, and I I understand all of that. But if you're thinking in terms of survival, too, you are going to need these animals. Right. So ultimately, that is playing to the bigger picture of saving your family. Yeah, but there's also so many of them that, like you said, there's like a menagerie of animals. It is impossible that they could have built that raft, escaped, 
and taken the animals. I think that they did have to go back for them, which is another difference from the 1940s version. They leave with the animals, and I kind of just watch this, and I go, how could you have had this much time to do all of this? It just doesn't make sense. So it actually does play out better here, especially when you think about how they have to go back to salvage wood and windows and furniture to build the treehouse. Naturally, they're going to go back and they're going to take the animals with them. Well, I guess that's kind of an interesting commentary because in the Disney-fied version, you are sort of likening the animals to the rest of the tools that you need to survive. And they're treating it the same as what they're going to build their shelter with. Right. But I also disagree with you on something else. While we don't have a lot of backstory on them, I don't want to say that we lack proper character development. How better can you develop a character than to put them in a disastrous situation and see how they respond to it? And frankly, the fact that they didn't panic, but they showed their ingenuity and their intelligence and their their will to live. I mean, that's more than anything else. It's the will to live. I feel like you know exactly who these people are from the moment they come on screen. I totally understand what you're saying, but I guess for me, if you're talking about your basic three-act structure you sort of build to this moment a little bit more. You kind of know how your characters are going to react. And that is to the credit of this film because it really does go against conventional storytelling. Yes, it does. They finally get to the island now. Okay, this is the first time they get to the island. They've taken the dogs. It's just them. They haven't gone back for any of the other materials or any of the other animals. The minute they get to the island, they kind of do a very makeshift uh, shelter. It's basically just a tent. And that's the first time you see the tiger. But the tiger does not attack them, per se. He stalks them, and he leaves, waiting for the right moment. And I absolutely love that this happens. I'm going to disagree again. I don't feel like the tiger is stalking them. I feel like if it wanted to get them, it would have. I almost feel, and this is very much a Disney-fied way of doing it, I feel like the tiger is sort of scoping them out to protect them. What? No, this is like sheer Khan-esque. I know, but he kind of just watches them... And then that's it. Until Francis starts antagonizing him, he doesn't really have anything to do with them. I almost feel like he's sort of the king of the jungle and sees them on his land and he's like, all right, I'll give you a shot. Okay. Um. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's, well, we, we also didn't talk about. Did you hit bedrock digging for that one? <laughs> Digging for nothing. They didn't They didn't put him on the attack. He's not being aggressive. He's not growling. He's just there observing what is going on. Beautifully done, by the way. Oh, we yeah. didn't talk about that. Whether we agree or disagree on the function of the tiger here, 
it the the shots that they got are absolutely stunning and you know we talked about that in 20,000 leagues we talked about it in summer magic where disney had this affinity for just sort of capturing nature and letting it happen and incorporating into the films i think this is the best it's ever done well tobago i think was the perfect setting it's a beautiful beach um the bright vibrant colors and you're right, the way that they just were able to capture nature in its rawest form, um, I think is a total uh, compliment to the direction and the cinematography and, again, to Walt Disney. I think that as a visual storyteller, I mean, I, you're right. You, you just pointed out two other comparable films which actually do bleed over into this quite a bit. Um, Dorothy McGuire is in this. She mm-hmm. plays mother. She was the mother in Summer Magic. Of course, the comparison. Not Mrs. Hamilton. No, <laughs> she's not Mrs. Mother, Hamilton. The, Mrs. Carey. Yeah. Um, and of course, we've already drawn the comparisons to 20,000 Leagues, but I, I agree with you. We finally agreed on something. High five. Hey. Um, I agree with you that I think of all of those, this is the one that does do it best in terms of the pure cinematography. I mean, well, when you think about it, though, 20,000 Leagues is so impressive with the underwater stuff. But I feel like just as far as putting nature into the film, it's not forced the way that I felt about Summer Magic. Mm -hmm. I think I likened it to a a music video break. Yeah, and it was B-roll. It was during Ugly Bug Ball you're talking about. And even when they're singing on the front porch and it cuts away. I just felt like it was unmotivated here. I mean, just by virtue of you're on an island, nature's kind of in your face. And that's where it's woven into the story a lot better. Sure. Now, going back to the boat again, because Mother has shown that she does not want to... Obviously, she thinks or hopes that they're going to be rescued and they see to it that or, or, or father recognizes that it's not likely that they're going to be rescued and they need a more permanent structure because the tent isn't working and they go back to the ship. And I love how the pirates come back and father flies the black death flag. The quarantine flag? The quarantine flag because of the black death that's on board to scare them away and just buy them time because he did not want them getting close enough to recognize that it were the same ship that they chased into the storm. The minute they see that flag, they're not coming. And I think that it's really smart, and I think it shows how bright, again, how bright the family is. Because you know that Ernst is the bookworm. This is one of the first times that Father shows how intelligent he is as well. I'm going to disagree with you again. I see a theme here. Well, at least I'm not so vested in this as I was with Pete's Dragon. This when is, you disagreed yeah. with everything, we're not Accurate. we're not going to argue after the mic goes off tonight. Accurate. Um, here's my issue with this. I understand that Ernst is the bookworm, and I love that he eventually gets called out on that when Fritz says, uh, "You know, you never stop hearing what he thinks," or however they put it. Yeah. Um, so I believe that he's read about what to do in a situation like this and he can sort of take that and apply it to the situation. But where I have the breakdown is that I don't believe 
he can take what he read and then do it with his own two hands. And same with the father, because we don't have proper character development. It doesn't matter what he's read. I don't know that I buy that this family that is well off enough to restart their lives in the new world can actually, when it comes down to it, I mean, I guess if their lives depend on it, yes, but I don't understand where they can apply the theory because it's only ever come from a book. Well, I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head. It's a life and death situation. So if you know what to do, you just know what to do. I guess my other issue with it, though, is that, and, and they sort of address this with a throwaway line, but they didn't really flesh it out well enough. Their whole thing is that they don't want the pirates to come back, which I get. But what they don't do enough of is sort of wrestle with, do we do something like like start a big fire and create a signal that we're lost and stranded here so that somebody can rescue us? And they ultimately decide that being rescued is less important than being found by the pirates. So I feel like a little bit more dialogue about, you know, maybe half the family prioritizes being rescued, the other half prioritizes being protected from the pirates. And, you know, then again, the characters would have developed a little bit more and you see who's on what side. You start to learn how everybody's thinking by figuring out those priorities. And I think by seeing those sort of conversations play out, it would have also helped us to establish a little bit of a passage of time because you don't get that impression really from anything. We don't know how long it was that the pirates attacked initially and then they're coming back. I mean, I think it's a few days because we see them the second time or it might even be the next day when they go back for the animals, which I think happens pretty quickly. But other than that, you know, we get Christmas, but we don't see the beards growing in. We don't see the facial hair. I think that's a little bit more of a production error, but I just would have liked the passage of time to play into their decision that, okay, we're not going to get rescued, so we're just going to make it work here. And the only time we really get some sort of definition, and this is something that I do appreciate, is that that first night, Mother Robinson has so much conviction, and she says, I think we made the right decision, even if we were shipwrecked. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a valid point. I'll give you that one. That, that they should have done more to show you how long they had been there. I think what you mentioned before about going back for the animals and to salvage off the ship, I think that is implied that is it's within a day or two of their marooning. But over the course of the film, right, we get Christmas, but did you shipwreck in November? We just don't know. Right, and I think that's where the 40s version does this a little bit better because in that one, Mother Robinson wants to get rescued. She doesn't want to say, and that's the whole conflict between her and her husband. And they almost end up separating. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, here, 
everything is centered around a strong family unit and instead they create drama with the Roberta character who doesn't exist in the book or the 40s film. Right. And we're, we're going to get to her shortly here because I have to bring up what happens next because you've got shipwrecks, you've got pirates, you've got sharks because now as they are sailing back or they're, they're setting back to shore on the right. raft with the animals, now you have sharks that are trying to eat the animals um, and they shoot them with their muskets and their pistols to uh, deflect them. But you've also got this tiger, right? These poor people. Well, why does the tiger finally strike? The tiger strikes because... Francis is a moron. Francis is obsessed, and we'll break down characters in just a little while, but Francis is obsessed with capturing every animal he's ever seen, up to and including a baby elephant. And after he traps the elephant, that's when the tiger strikes, because now you've got this elephant, it's, it's just sitting prey. And it's the dogs that go and rescue them from the tiger because Francis throws a stick at the tiger to deflect him from the elephant. Now he's put himself in harm's way. What is Francis going to do with an elephant? What is he going to... I can understand if they were trying to capture roosters and chickens and things that they could source for food. Which they already have. They already have it. Of course you want more of it. What is he going to do with an elephant? I mean, I appreciate that Francis represents the sense of adventure. Because as soon as they hit the beach, he doesn't care whether or not they're going to be rescued. All he cares about is riding the giant turtle that he sees. And right. Th this is the most fun that he's ever that had. Childish whimsy. Exactly. So I get that. But you put the elephant in jeopardy, you put the dogs in jeopardy with this tiger, and why is Francis even allowed to run around like this unattended? Because to me, he's still pretty young. I, yeah, he's probably, what, seven, eight years old? I would say a little younger than that. I thought maybe five or six. I mean, old enough to know better. That's first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and And he's old enough to sort of fend for himself but if i'm mother robinson and my family's just been stranded on an island that you have no idea what's in the area i really wouldn't be letting anybody out of my sight yeah okay another point for you i'll give you that one i want to talk about the scene where they actually build the home because this whole thing stems from this tiger attack i mean right. they were going to build the house anyway because they wanted a more permanent, safe shelter. But Father Robinson decides he's going to build the treehouse because of the wildlife that is at ground level. I think this scene fleshes out the family additionally, okay? Because you're right, you don't have the backstory. It seems like this where they get fleshed out. Again, and I am going to repeat myself, the smarts, the ingenuity of the family, more specifically of the men of the family. Nothing against Mother Robinson, but she really wants nothing to do with any of this. And it's Fritz and William and Ernst that build this structure, that come up with this grand design 
that she eventually falls in love with, but wants nothing to do with initially. But watching Fritz and William, who are sort of the muscle, in conjunction with Ernst, who is really being fleshed out as a bookworm when he develops the fresh water and uh, the way that it runs with the wheel. You know, you've seen it at Disney World or at Disneyland if you've gone to the Swiss Family Treehouse. So you get the idea. Um, I think that it really does a good job here of developing them further and making good on a lot of what we've seen up to this point as you are starting to build these characters because this is still very early on in the film. No, and this is where Disney was the perfect person to adapt this because that house is so much fun. And I, I, I'm going to actually agree with you here. The scene is so powerful because now that they've decided that they are going to stay, which again would have benefited a bit more from the connective tissue as to, okay, we know we can't escape these pirates. So we're going to, we're, we're just going to make the best of the situation. Um, just the the drive to please his wife and the kids being so obedient, except for Francis, because they want to see their mother happy. I think the reason that they never explicitly say it is because they don't want to upset Mother Robinson. Right. So this grand gesture sort of says to her, we are stuck here. It's going to be a while, but they are working so hard to make the best of it. Right, and that comes full circle when they finally bring her to the completed house and she cries and says, I don't deserve all of this. Because from the running water to a functional skylight so that she can sleep underneath the stars. I mean, they literally thought of everything they could. And I felt that that was a big moment for her to actually come out and say that. Because up to that point, She's likable, but she's pouty, and you sort of don't understand why. And I think some of that comes from you didn't have a lot of backstory and things didn't get fleshed out. I mean, yes, it's an upsetting situation that you're marooned, but they're going over and above to make this not only functional but safe. So when she kind of pouts away and wants nothing to do with it because she wants a railing installed— it does work against her. I'm not going to say that it makes her dislikable, but it does work against the character. No, and in that regard, we're saying pouty, but it's more about safety. She's not really a spoiled brat. She's not saying that she misses any of her material possessions or anything like that. So I think I would have liked to see even more of that from her if mm -hmm. she was being entitled and then eventually they won her over. Or I would have liked to see more fear from her about the situation. She's just so go with the flow, which is great as far as being a strong character. But just coming from the world that they are used to, I mean, maybe none of that does matter. because, And that that's exactly it. They didn't play up the war enough and how bad it was where it's like anything's better than our life before. And honestly, I'm kind of glad that they stayed away from that because, spoiler, um, the 1940s film would have had the perfect ending if they all died, if they didn't make it <laughs> off the shipwreck. Because other than the father, they're all completely dislikable. All of them. 
I don't like one of them in the 1940s version. They're horrible. There's an extra child in that one, and it just gives you another person to dislike even more. Right. Yeah, I mean, they they do hit on it, like I said, when she says it's the right decision, even though we, even now knowing what I know. Yeah. But I think they could have opened that up just a little bit more to, to make her more convincing. Let's talk about the house for a second. So cool. Visually and functionally incredible. But I think this is the, by far, it's the best set in the movie. I would go so far as to say it is one of the best sets in the history of cinema. And I think it is completely underappreciated and forgotten about. I absolutely agree with you on all counts. I mean, not not just as far as the set goes, but no government and no taxes. Sign me up for that. Yeah, really. I'll take it. But the, just the way that they salvaged everything and put it all together without it looking like... Because this could have very easily had looked like the treehouse that you built with your friends out of whatever plywood you could find sitting around, right? That does not look like that at all. This looks amazing. This is where a passage of time may have been nice because I would imagine it would take months to build this. And it looks like they got it together in a couple of days. Days? Hours? Yeah. This goes up way too fast. But this is where I can sort of forgive that they didn't really establish the shipwreck enough. They didn't really, um, you know, as far as going back and forth to the boat, um, the whole thing is to get them to build this house. And obviously you need you need the parts for it. And that comes right. from the ship. It doesn't come from the raw materials of the island. So this is where I can sort of turn my head the other way and not care about some of the story flaws just because this is so cool. And as far as the attraction goes, it it just doesn't get enough of its due. Because to have a set that's so cool and to be able to go and ride the movie so to speak yeah to to take a page from another park um like what what better set you know the only thing i could think of that i would want to do more was honey i shrunk the kids as far as just being well until star wars until galaxy's edge until galaxy's yeah. edge yeah and ironically which took over for honey i shrunk the kids but until that as far as being fully immersed in something mhm I think this is one of the best. I I cuz it's it's a replica. Agree. Yeah, it's almost a direct replica. Right. Um you brought up this how everything is so close in and how every shot is tight. Look no further than the scene where they're swinging back and forth over that waterfall. Oh my gosh. And they're not using stuntmen. I mean, you mentioned it before. It's one thing to not use a stuntman as they're jumping off a shipwreck into the water. I mean, Kira Knightley walked the plank in Pirates of the Caribbean, but to have one of your leads swinging on a rope and grabbing another rope like Tarzan and swinging to the edge of a cliff by a waterfall, that could go wrong very fast and set you back in a production. No, and besides... I, I mean, that's it. That's why... That's why they have stunt doubles is not just for the safety of the actor, but I mean, really, I hate to say it. The studio cares more about making sure they finish on time than they do about the actor. Right. They don't want to recast. They don't have time. Um, and in this case, 
aside from not having all those wide shots that are sort of a tell when there's a stunt double, there's also a really bad production flub because when, I think it's when Fritz, Fritz. goes, yeah. you see a hand come up to grab the the rope swing so it doesn't he doesn't swing back the other way. I mean, he actually, he achieves it on his own because he sticks the landing, but there was somebody down there to grab him just in case. And, and see it. You know, I appreciate the fact, because years later, now on Disney+, Plus. Disney could take that out. They could very easily remove that hand digitally, but they leave everything sort of preserved as is. And in a weird way, I appreciate that they do that and that it is kind of the movie in its raw form. Um, Speaking of raw form. Okay. uh, Another big takeaway from that scene is that Mother is sitting with her parasol out and all I can think of at that point is her corruptible mortal state. She does look like that painting in Haunted Mansion. Right? She's totally giving out stretching painting vibes. Yeah. This uh, which is... I'm wondering if that was an inspiration. I would love that, especially because when they reveal it, she's over the crocodile, right? Yeah. So that is kind of, it. it's very fitting. They are eerily similar. Yeah. They're eerily similar. What happens in this scene, too, other than the phantom hand is this is where father convinces mother to let the boys go and explore the island. Because at the root of this, they're trying to survive, but they are looking for a way out. And I think as much as the treehouse is the star of the film, and while I appreciate the fact that, you know what, they didn't waste a lot of time fleshing out a passage of time, because as I pointed out with... Uh, 20,000 Leagues, and I pointed it out earlier when referring to 20,000 Leagues, that suffers from some slow pacing that doesn't happen here. Um, I think that this is where the movie takes off even more. Because, yes, you've got your star of the film in the treehouse, but when Fritz and Ernst go off, you learn more about them as characters. But this is where the friction... It does start with Roberta, but you can tell that there's also some deeply seated problems that they haven't quite addressed with the big brother, little brother thing. And that starts to happen here as well. Not just as far as a sibling rivalry goes, but it's interesting to see that now, you know, because they are in this circumstance where they're they're roughing it on the island, these two boys are becoming men, but you can see that these men now are so rooted in their own convictions. Like Ernst wants to go to college and he misses the clothes and he wants to live in the city. And although Fritz doesn't out and out say that this is his more ideal, he wants to go right into the workforce. He doesn't want to go to school and he's not really sure what he wants to do yet. And you can just tell that they're, they're already at odds over their own beliefs Correct. And I think that comes to a head here. And there's a great bit of dialogue because they go and they uh, they rescue Roberta thinking that she's a 14 year old cabin boy. And once it's revealed that she is not a 14 year old cabin boy, they start to develop that relationship with her. Not to the point where it comes to a head. It's not until mother cleans her up at Christmas. But there is a great line after the anaconda attack where Ernst loses 
his compass, which he's been using because, as you pointed out, he knows a lot of things that he read in the book, but can he do it with his bare hands? That's where he and Fritz are very different. And when Fritz says, we're going to go this way, we're going to trek on this way, and he is kind of walking aimlessly, but he's trusting his gut. And when Ernst calls him out on it, he says, can't you just trust my judgment? It's such a good line. Because the drama that exists between the two of them from now to the end of the film starts with this line more than anything else. And that friction would have been good enough for me. Instead, they've created this character, Roberta, which I get. Um, and I appreciate that they do address once the family starts surviving and even with the house, now they're thriving there and they sort of start asking, why would we leave? Right. But Mother Robinson points out, there's no girls here. They're never going to get married. They're never going to have a chance to build a family. So I can appreciate Roberta for that much, but it's such an unnecessary conflict. These brothers are already at odds enough, just like we said, rooted in what they believe. You didn't need to throw fighting for a girl into the mix. And it also, what I really didn't like was that Roberta starts out as such a strong character because she's posing as a guy and she is standing up to the pirates. Um, but she does not go the route of Elizabeth Swan. As soon as they start fighting over her, she dumbs herself down and she was so much more competent when she had to stand on her own two feet and, and play the role of the cabin boy. Yeah, um, I agree with you. We'll talk more about character in a few minutes, but I think you're right. There is a decline in her strength the minute that they start pining over her. And I also agree with you that um, you didn't necessarily need the fight over the girl. I think it does work for this version of the film, but it could have survived without it because ultimately the drama, the, the biggest, really, the biggest point of contention is the pirates. It's not Roberta. Right. And that's the thing. In the 40s version, it's just the family versus the elements. There's no threat from the pirates. Right. So th this is just such an unnecessary conflict three ways to Sunday. Yeah. And I think with Ernst, it as as much as Roberta gets watered down as this goes on, it also happens to Ernst where he just becomes so petty, uh, petty and petulant the more and more that she is sort of swooning over Fritz. And he just comes off so childish that it takes a character that was very strong. And I'm not going to say it makes him dislikable, but he's less endearing than he was in the beginning. No, and you don't even really feel bad for him when he gets shoved into the friend zone because he's sort of making an idiot of himself falling all over this girl who, I mean, she kind of does tease him a little bit, but once she clearly states that she's after Fritz, yeah, Ernst really is just making a fool of himself. Right. So we get them back. We have Christmas. We have the scene where she comes down. They're all dancing the Swiss polka which I think, if you're a fan of Disney, is recognizable. 
Absolutely. But I don't think you know where you recognize it from. I think you just know that you've heard it in the parks. You probably, if anything, may associate it more with Epcot yes. than you do Adventureland. Now, this isn't like when um, the lead in 20,000 Leagues busts out his guitar and starts singing. It's not a musical number per se, but if there is one scene where it r- the, the, the pacing is really kind of wonky and dragged out, it is this dancing scene on Christmas. I understand where you're trying to play up on the competition between Fritz and Ernst for Roberta, but this goes on forever. No, and it's Christmas. You've all just reunited. Your mother was worried sick about you and didn't know where you were. Your brother thinks you're dead and wants to open your presents because he's a jerk anyway. So this Yeah, should... I had that noted and I was waiting <laughs> until we discussed character. <laughs> but I'm glad you brought it up. I am going to save my feelings when we go and break him down. No, and I feel bad because Francis is a child and I don't want to hate on him, but he might be the best actor in this whole movie because he successfully annoys me constantly constantly as do the two brothers in this christmas pissing contest yeah (laughs) it's exactly what it is you've just gotten everybody back together just celebrate and be happy and it's such a nice scene roberta's all dolled up and and you know mother says i've always wanted a daughter it's such a nice moment between the two of them she's playing the piano it they this is the most normal that they have felt the whole time yes they're singing oh christmas tree they have a makeshift tree they're and, trying their best and then fritz and ernest have to ernst yeah. have to ruin it. i keep doing that yeah ernst but they keep fighting it's it's sorry like watching, slinky dog is in my mind it is like watching it's like watching Bugs and Daffy fight over something in, in a cartoon. That's fantastic. You're right. And what should be very cartoonish is when they catch this tiger, when they catch it in the trap, when Francis finally gets his tiger and they have this idea that they're going to use it as a trap, I have to be honest with you, that entire scene where they catch him is oddly satisfying. I want to know where Francis got all that meat. Time and temp. (laughs) But that's the thing. They have not addressed that. I mean, we assume they're using the hens for food. We can assume, I think there's cows, they're using them for milk. Francis is riding anything on four legs. Yeah, they're not starving. No, we know they're not. But like, where did you acquire that? It, It looks like a heart. It really does. Yeah. And like, am I to believe that Francis harvested that thing himself as the tiger bait? Because nobody's helping him with this. I mean, that. well, we don't know where he is or what he's doing. I can kind of assume he's capable of doing anything at this point. I mean, he did trap. He he did manage to catch an elephant, for God's sake. This is true. And he duped his brothers into digging the pits for him. Yes. In defense against the pirates, quote unquote. Um. We also, I just want to circle back to another great Francis moment. Okay. The coconut bombs. Oh, the coconut bombs. The co- now, With the ever-changing sense. fuses. It makes sense. But the fact that you're trying to not draw attention to yourself, and he lights a bomb and throws it, and it's almost the moment it leaves his hand that it explodes, and he sets panic amongst uh, the people of the island who think that the pirates have arrived. Yeah, he kind of just 
keeps stepping on his own foot, doesn't he? And still manages to get away with it because he's using resources. Nobody cares that he just wasted a bomb that they're going to need for their defense. Yes. And oh, by the way, Mother Robinson accepts the tiger far too easily. I mean, okay, we'll, we'll give Francis credit for the elephant for having the ingenuity to do that and managing to pull that one off, even though he jeopardized the dogs in the process. But he caught a tiger. It's a, it's a tiger for crying out loud. And Mother Robinson has barely any reaction to it. I disagree. I think when she kind of stares off and she ponders, because she can overhear his excitement, and she goes, he caught his tiger. She, to me, I think she recognizes that he is capable of pulling something off on his own because he has been such a calamity this entire time. And his harebrained scheme worked. It actually worked. I think she's actually proud of him. As, uh, as uh, insane as the scenario is, I think it's actually a really nice scene. But the way she delivers that line, it's just so boys will be boys. I, it can go either way. I think it can be interpreted in two very different ways. But, I mean, maybe that's where, maybe if there was a little bit more build-up to it, I would appreciate that more because it's like, now she has truly accepted their fate. And this is what Francis's life is going to be, is defending himself against pirates and capturing tigers. Yeah. Pirates who come back because of the holiday that Father decides to throw for New Switzerland Day. Um, <laughs> and they have a race where they're riding every kind of animal known to man, and... Mother fires the pistol to sound the start of the race, and that's how the pirates find them. I'm sorry, but the treatment of animals in this movie is appalling. It was 1960, but yeah, not so great. No. It's not a great look for Disney, and I think this is partially why you get the 12-second warning before the movie starts. Right. No, and I don't wanna I, I don't wanna sound like PETA here, but you can see these animals being wrangled clearly against their will. Yeah. And then you can tell that they didn't get everything they needed because the way that they're smashing this cut together, the shots don't line up. It, it's the same with the zebra. Mm -hmm. You literally turn the cameras on and just let them roll and got what you got and then try to my favorite, fix it in post, which doesn't work. It doesn't work if the shot's not there. It doesn't work with CGI. You need to capture what you want to happen. And in these two instances, they're reversing shots like we're not going to know. It, it, it just it doesn't cut together at all. It's ridiculous. So now you get the pirates. They're back. I love the traps that they set as cartoony as they are. It was fun. And and they worked. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the tiger in the pit, oddly satisfying. It worked. You have a few Kevin McAllisterist moments, but it all seemed to work for the Swiss Family Robinson because they could have just as easily sat there and shot guns, and they didn't do that. And they could have thrown their bombs that they made, and they didn't just do that. They do a little bit of everything to fend them off for long enough and... As stressful as the situation as it is, it's a fun scene. I know that sounds weird, but it's a fun scene. 
No, and it's it's exactly what you'd expect. I mean, this family got shipwrecked, stranded on the island. They built this cartoony sort of house with what they had. So I think the Kevin McAllister defense line is perfect for them. What's unfortunate is that it is so distracting because every time they knock pirates out, more and more come back. And it's not that they're all coming off of the ship. They are just recycling the same background extras. Yeah. Which is where the beginning of the film sort of annoys me because it's not like you were lacking the the people or the budget to do this. You had them. So you certainly could have shown the Robinsons being sh- shipwrecked but and, and left stranded on the ship while everyone else escaped. But here, it's just every time you think that they're coming out ahead... The, an equal number of pirates comes back at them and they need to be knocked out all over again. So that sort of does drag for me. But as far as the, you know, sort of chewing gum and paperclip weapons that they've assembled, that all works. Yeah. Let's talk about the end of the movie now. Okay. Because grandfather has arrived with his ship He's destroyed the pirate ship. He's destroyed some of the pirates. And Disney was not afraid to show a cannonball literally blowing up a small boat carrying human beings. Um, The family, for the most part, decides they want to stay because they have now built this beautiful life on this island. It's a bigger moment for Mother and Roberta than it is for anyone else because Mother just wants to get to New Guinea. Roberta wants to go back to London. Ernst leaves to go to London to go to college, but you knew he would do that. For Roberta and Mother to sit there and say, no, you know what, we're going to stay here and build a life, I thought that this was the right way to end this movie. Right, and that's a big character arc. If Ernst would have done it, it would have been a big arc for him, but it's not... I don't feel like he didn't come full circle. He just did exactly what you expected him to do. I feel like it would have been insincere of him to stay on that island. Right. Whereas with the rest of them, it makes sense that they would have that moment. And it's not like he's never going to come back and you're never going to see him again. They they do allude to that they're going to colonize the area. They're talking about possibly making Father Robinson governor. Right. Um. You know, it it kind of works for the period that this is set in because it's not like they're choosing to live off the grid. It, it's kind of actually it's interesting. They went from surviving to thriving to now. I mean, this is this is how it was. Right. This is how you established a new world. Right. Somebody had to do it first. Yeah. New settlements. So leave it to the plucky Robinsons to get things started. Let's talk about the characters a little bit more. I don't necessarily think that we need to discuss Father or Fritz or Ernst at this point because I kind of feel like we've spoken about them enough. No, the only thing that I do want to say about them is that I like the relationship between the three of them. Yes. As far as just believing that they did everything they could to make it work. Yeah, and I think that Father is sort of the glue that holds everything together. He is a strong patriarch. Um, because you see that as soon as they're separated from the rest of the family when the bickering starts. Right, and whether or not Father really does have the know-how, it doesn't matter because he is that glue. I also think that... 
Elizabeth Robinson, mother, played by Dorothy McGuire, mentioned her earlier. I really like her, and I like her more in this film than in the 1940s version of the film, because the one big difference between her here and her there, in the first film, she really just complained about everything. And she seemed incapable of doing a thing. And the critics that were harsh of the film said the same thing. It's a big, drastic change from the character as she was written in the book. Here, she's far more capable, and I think she is more relatable. It takes her time to warm up to the island, but I do buy her as a strong matriarch for the family. I do too, and... I like that her boys want to give her as much of a normal life as possible without her having to ask for it. I think that's really important. Um, really, the only thing that she asks for is her piano. But, I mean, that's that's important because she's the morale booster for everyone. Right. Roberta, played by Janet Monroe. You mentioned it before. Not necessary. I said I agree, but it works here. Um we talked before about her being watered down as soon as they start fighting over her. I think that that is to the detriment of the character. But I otherwise find her to be a likable character. I don't necessarily feel like she was just another thing that they jammed into the movie. I do feel like she fits here. Eventually you come around to her. And I mean, as far as the story goes... You could have done it without her. And they have. Where the character sort of gets redeemed for me is in the scene where she finally stops teasing the boys. She decides that she does want to be with Fritz. And as the sort of come hither, she asks him to teach her how to shoot. And then when it's when she's left with Ernst, um, we find out she does, in fact, already know how. Uh, because she just blows up a seashell with absolutely no direction. That's where not only does she redeem herself as the strong female, but she also proves in her own right that she can stand on her own two feet because the whole thing is that she was there with her grandfather. Right. Does Francis, played by Kevin Corcoran, ever get a redemption? That's a hard no from me. I hate being overly critical of child actors because it's a child and that's not fair. But taking the actor out of it, I think the actor was successful because Francis does nothing but annoy me. I think the actor did exactly what he was told to do. And it was successful because I couldn't stand him. He's screaming the whole time. Yeah, He's running around unsupervised, which is not the fault of the character, the actor, or anyone other than the parents that aren't watching him. Um, And and he just... I don't want to say that he serves no purpose because what he is is a distractor. He is always pulling one of the other family members away from what they need to be doing. He's actually kind of a foil to all of them. Here's the thing. I think that... I agree with you. I think the child actor did what he was supposed to do. He played the role that was written um, the way that they wanted it played. Literally screaming. But this is not an endearing youngest sibling like you get in a summer magic. Right. 
And look no further than that Christmas scene where they don't know if Ernst and Fritz are coming back. And he goes, well, can't we just open their packages? What if they were eaten up? That's what you say to your mother on Christmas because your concern is I want more presents. I mean, look no further than that one scene. I mean, that sums up the character as a whole. Right. And that's not something that you can even write off as childish innocence and all he cares about is having a nice Christmas. No, that was rude. Final review, final say of Swiss Family Robinson as it celebrates its 60th anniversary. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I wish you guys could see Sean's face right now. It doesn't hold up for me just because there are too many flaws with the story. I can even overlook all of the production errors and there are many, but for me, the story just doesn't always add up. And unfortunately, this beautiful set and the amazing house that they built aren't enough to redeem it for me. I think that maybe if I didn't know that there was a pending reboot, I would I would feel a little bit differently. And if this was what we got, I would live with it and maybe appreciate it more for the classic that it is. But there's just a lot. There's too much working against it, which is a shame because I I love the attraction. I think it's incredible. But I think because the attraction is so amazing, I really thought that it was representative of more of a classic tale and even though this is a classic book I don't feel like this is a classic film Sean's head is about to explode I don't know that I can ever look at you the same way <laughs> um this I'm sorry but this isn't my adventure movie I I love Treasure Island I love 20,000 Leagues this just didn't didn't do it I think you know what because I, I've said it a million times, I don't like to bash things without, and just say that I don't like them. I mean, I think I've given a lot of reasons why it just doesn't work for me. But what I would have done to make it better was to lean into the cartoony aspect and lean into that Home Alone defense and, and make it a little bit more, a little bit more silly. So, um, suffice to say, I could not disagree with you more. I put this on the same tier as a Treasure Island or as a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Of the three, it is the one that falls third, but I think that it's one of the forgotten greats. I think that the special effects are good. I think the practical effects are good. I love the characters. I love the sets. I love the costumes, especially those on the pirates. And I think it, the movie's got a great score. Um, I am surprised to hear you say that. Um, and I'm interested in knowing what you all have to say about 
1960s Swiss family Robinson. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. You can also email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. A lot of news this week. Go and listen to our bonus episode of our reaction to Disney Investor Day for a the, the long extended version of news of the week. But to condense it into some news that has broken since Disney Investor Day, we have a release date for season three of The Mandalorian and it's dropping on Christmas 2021. The only thing I don't like about this is that I will have to get out of bed even earlier so as to not <laughs> conflict with the Disney holiday parade. But what a lovely present under the tree. One can only hope they are going to do some sort of Grogu promotion in a Santa hat, being that it's coming out on Christmas. We want to know what you have to say about the release date of Mandalorian. Is it the perfect holiday gift for you, or do you not want to wait that long? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Also, you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate on your podcast platform of choice. And of course, check out monorealradio.com where we have links to all of the social media, links to where you can find the show, as well as our email address. Thank you guys so much again. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.